Bavakama, Perk Vav, Mishnah Dalit, 6-4, and now the Mishnah turns its attention to the final of those four Avos of Nazika that we saw in the very first Mishnah, that of Eish, or as the Mishnah called it, Hever. Now, the Pasuk for Eish, which means fire, is Kiseitze Eish, should a fire go out, Umatza Kotzem, and then it finds, you know, um, kindling to burn, little thorns, whatever it is, V'nechal Gadish, O Hakama, O Hasadeh, and then it consumes the haystack, or the standing grain that's attached to the ground, or the Sadeh, the field itself, Shalem Yishalem HaMavir Esa the one who lit the fire shall make payment um, to the victim. So, that's our source. Now, the essence of Eish, as an Av Nezek, is it has two elements. The first is that it by its nature, is uh, something that moves, not where you leave it. Dark its way is to move and damage as it goes. Um, and second of all, that it's um, not just a person uh, or his property, it's a machlokas actually between Rav Yochan and Rishlokish, if we're focused on the person, and it's analogous to Isho Mashum Chitzio, it's like a, a person's arrow, so to speak, he's inputting with something else, or if it's um, a share excuse me, Eisho Mishum Mamono, it's that his um, his fire is like his property. Um, but whatever the case is, it's his thing, the fire, plus another element, another element of power that's, that mixed together with it. Typically that would be um, the wind coming to combine um, with with uh, the da- dangerous thing. But the point therefore is, just for example, a person leaves you know a knife at the edge of his balcony and the wind blows it off and the knife falls down and it lands on someone's head, so that'll be Eish, because it's um, this damaging, dangerous thing, the knife, which is prone to be moved by normal winds at the edge of the balcony, and which then the wind came and caused it to move, causing damage. Okay, so our mission begins, um, it's a long Mishnah. First it says, If one sends the fire um, in the hands of a cherish shota v'katan, these are the usual three who lack da'as, cherish deaf mute, shota mentally incompetent, katan the minor, the child, not bar by mitzvah. So he gave um, this thing to, for the, it's called the child, to transfer from point A to point B. And then, um, lo and behold, something catches on fire, and before it gets where it has to go, something burns down. So then, Pater Bidine Adam, V'chayev Bidine Shemaim, the person who sent this uh, with the child, or the Cherish or the Shota, um, he is exempt Bidine Adam, meaning down here on planet Earth, the earthly courts won't uh, be able to extract money out of him. But Chayev Bidine Shemaim, up in heaven they will, which means that really, by rights, he owes the money. It's not just that he can opt to not pay. Essentially, he's like stealing the money from the victim if he doesn't pay it. Um, but the courts won't force him to pay it. Just if he doesn't pay, it'll get extracted from him by some kind of onish later on um, from heaven, which he could avert by paying the money him here now as he ought to. Now, the Gemara explains that the case here is not that a fellow gave like an open flame, you know, on a stick to a child and says, here, do me a favor and, and move this, you know, take this across the street. Uh, because... Fires are dangerous, and a person has an obligation to guard his fire from causing damage. And that, in the case, giving it to the hands of a child or a cherish or a shota is certainly not considered to be guarding one's property properly. And therefore, the person who handed over the flame, the open flame, would be liable. The case of our Mishnah is that he had like a, a, a glowing red coal, you know, if, let's say from the barbecue, and he's asking this child or the 
immensely common with the person or the deaf mute to transfer from point A to point B. Now, normally what happens is coals kind of go out. They don't just, you know, start fires unless someone, you know, fans the flame or adds oxygen and so on. So what happens here is he gave it to the child. It should have gone out under normal circumstances, but the child or the shelter, whatever it is, ended up playing with the fires. Children do. They're pyromaniacs. Everyone knows. And they, they, it made a fire. So since the child caused the fire to emerge, despite the, notwithstanding the fact that the, normally if the child wouldn't have gotten involved, the, the smoldering coal would have just gone out. So that's why the person is chayv only with Dine Shemaim. Because he didn't, what he gave should have gone out. Okay, but he was, he didn't, he, he's, he's, you know, partially, jointly responsible, if you will. Um, but not more than that. Now, um, that all assumes we're talking about someone who is mentally incompetent. But, Shalach Biad Pikeach, if uh, this smoldering coal was handed over to a person who had his mental faculties, and then that person ended up causing a fire. So then the person who should have known better, uh, he is uh, responsible. Uh, and the person who sent him is totally not responsible, not even bidene shemaim under normal circumstances. Um, this is true if the pikeach is a regular uh, person, if he's you know, any kind of shomer or whatever it is, it doesn't make a difference. Um, more than that, even if the mishaleach, let's, you know, it's Reuven had the fire, the burning coal, he gave it to Shimon and said, Shimon, do me a favor and, and move this to, you know, my fire pit, you know, across the estate or something. So, um, then that base case, we're saying that Shimon is obligated if a fire breaks out because Shimon should be more careful. He's a pikeach, he's a bardas. But more than that, if Reuven would tell Shimon, Shimon, take this fire and burn down Levi's house. And, uh, then Shimon does that. So we're saying Shimon is responsible and not Reuven. Even if Reuven said to Shimon, burn down Levi's house, or else I'm going to punch you in the nose, or else I'm going to, you know, uh, or I'll pay you a hundred bucks if you do it, it doesn't matter. If Reuven induces Shimon to do it, it doesn't matter. Since Shimon is a bardas, he's a pikeach, he's a bal bachira, he's responsible for his actions. And if Shimon does it, Shimon is fully responsible and Reuven not. The reason why is because you have a basic principle of ein shaliach ledavar avera. If a person... Um, is acting, he can't be acting in the capacity of a shaliach, an extension of someone else, uh, to do an avera, to do something that is forbidden uh, by the Torah. Um, and therefore, he bears full responsibility. We're not talking about a case where, you know, there was an onus, you know, rule and put a gun to Shimon's head or something. So that being the case, even if there was some inducement, like a threat of, you know, physical pain or money, that doesn't matter. You cannot say you're acting on someone else's behalf. You bear fur- full responsibility. Um, and that is the Chiddush here. And the rationale for that is because we have this principle of what the Gemara describes as Divrei HaRav V'Divrei HaTamid Mishomen. If you have instructions that are conflicting, one from the master, one from the student, to whom should you listen? Which is really metaphorical for Reuven said to Shimon, I'll give you 50 bucks if you burn down my neighbor lady's house. But God said, you can't can't do that. So, who is Shimon supposed to listen to? Reuven, who's the Talmud, so to speak, God's disciple, or the Rav, the master, God himself? And the answer, of course, is that Shimon is to listen to the Rav, meaning Hashem, and not to the Talmud, meaning Reuven. And therefore, if uh, Reuven, excuse me, if Shimon um, obeys Shimon's orders and causes damages, Reuven bears, uh, excuse me, Shimon bears full responsibility because he is a Balvachira, and, and Shimon pays nothing. Uh, there is a PS that, which is, if it turns out that... Uh, that um, 
Shimon can't pay for it, he doesn't got the money, then Reuven and the Medina Shemaim should, should, uh, should pay for it, since he calls it. Now, we don't say that when it comes to the Kherashot of a Katan, because we don't have this principle of of Divrei Harav Divrei Talmud Shomen, because we can't say that the person who is exempt from doing mitzvahs, lacking das, is obligated really to keep mitzvahs and listen to Hashem. So therefore, they're not held responsible, and that's why we're passing responsibility directly back, at least Bidina Shemaim, to the Mishaleach to Reuven who sent them along. Okay, that's part one of the Mishnah. Part two of the Mishnah. What happens if you have um, two people who are involved in setting up this fire, but the fire only spread because of one of them? So the mission will say that only the second person is responsible. So, for example, the first guy puts down a little fire in a fire pit. Okay, and this would just go out by itself. That's Reuven's contribution. But then Shimon comes, and Shimon adds fuel to the fire. And now it spreads, and now it causes damage. Well, the only person who we're ascribing responsibility to is the second guy, Shimon, because Reuven alone would have done nothing. His actions would have led to nothing. So Shimon remains fully responsible. Similarly, excuse me, there the case is the second guy, Shimon, who brought the wood and put fuel in the fire, he's obligated. Similarly, if the first guy makes a big pile of wood, that alone is dangerous, of course, but then the second guy comes and he lights that wood on fire, and then it spreads and causes damage, so then the second guy and him alone is he's responsible for the damages because he alone is responsible for what went wrong. Without him, uh, nothing would have happened. More than that, if you had like a fire that was going out as it should, you know, Reuven and Shimon had a campfire, but now the flames are out, they're just smoldering, you know, coals. A third guy comes, and he fans the coals back into a flame again. Then the guy who fanned the flames, he's the one who's responsible, because again, if it wouldn't have been for him fanning the flames, the fire would have not spread, it would have gone out, and nothing more would have happened. So therefore, just the third guy bears full responsibility. Libs haruach. However, if let's say even the you know after the campfire has gone out, they're still smoldering coals. They don't pour water on the fire. But you know what? There's no reason to think this fire should spread, and it, it won't spread, except that some ruach, a wind, which is a ruach she'ena matsuya, uh, an extraordinary wind, the kind of wind you wouldn't expect to happen under normal circumstances, it came and it caused the fire, fire to flare up again and spread. Then kulan patur, and then everyone from the campfire is exempt because they acted responsibly. Um, leaving the pit in a, the fire pit, the fire smoldering coals in a way that um, would not reasonably expected to go and spread. You see here that once again we had these two kind of standards of of shmira. We had shmira maula and shmira pachusa, like a higher level or a lower level of guarding. We said when it came to Karen, the Torah expects um, a higher level shmira maula, and we had a machlokus there about the the muad, if that's also mira pachusa. That was so that, but when as opposed to Shane and Regal, Shane and Regal, we said you just need to have a Shmira Pachusa, a lesser, just a basic guarding. So we said when it came to animals, livestock, Shmira Pachusa was things like locking the gate properly or tying the animal with like a leather leash, where Shmira Maula, the like ultimate, you know, protection was stuff like, you know, having the kind of gate that wouldn't blow down even like an hurricane or, um, you know, using like a metal chain to strap the animal to the wall or something, which couldn't break. In any case, so you see here again, um, the Torah is requiring Shmira Pachusa just a, a basic level of guardianship, of uh, responsibility for not being liable for fires going out. And it's learned that really the same kind of way as the others, um, we're basically saying it has to be the person did the equivalent of, you know, doing it with his own hands. That's irresponsible, right? Um, 
So the Pesach says, Yishalem hamavir es ha The one who lit the fire has to pay for the fire. The point is, you have to act in a way that's a tantamount to having lit the fire. But if you left it to go out in a reasonable way, that's called Shmir Pachusa, a lesser guardianship, but that's sufficient to not be responsible anymore, liable anymore. Okay, now, next case. The, the words, it's like a new paragraph. The Mishnah continues on and it says, Hashalech HaSebeira. Now, these words, Hashalech HaSebeira, are identical to the first three words of our Mishnah. But, a little bit confounding, the first three words of our Mishnah, when it says Hashalech HaSebeira, it's talking about Shlichus, sending a human being with fire in hand to go transfer the fire. Whereas here, although it's the same exact words, the Mishnah is referring to a case where simply a person lit a fire in his own private property, but the fire spread. Okay, and let me make this something clear to you. If you, the base case, the mission is you're lighting on your, your own property. If you would light a fire on your friend's property, setting his house on fire or something, then all bets are off. You're fully liable as an adhamazik, a person causing damage. The case of mission here are where a person lit the fire beheter. He did in his own private property as he could and was allowed to set up a fire. But the problem is the fire spreads. So the question just becomes, did he act irresponsibly? Because if he did act irresponsibly, we'll hold him liable for the damage of the fire. So here the Mishnah says, Hashalech HaSebeira, one lights a fire in his own property, but the fire ends up spreading by means of the wind. Va'achla eitzim, o avanim, o afar, and then it goes and causes damage in his neighbor's property, um, consuming wood, or stones, or dirt. Then chayev, then the person who set the fire back in his house is obligated, if he let it spread, and he was acting responsibly. Shneemar, as the Pasuk says, kitete eish, if one Let's a fire go out. Umatsa kotzim benech al gadish or kama or sadeh, and then it goes spreads and it consumes the haystack or the standing grain or the field. Shalamishalem hamavir esabera. The one who lit the fire has to pay. So the drasha here is the the chiddush is we're talking about the sadeh, the field itself, because all of the pasuk talks about neechal, which means consumed, and achila, like in the abstract and throughout. Kol Kula, it's talking about like, you know, using something up as it's consumed and used up, whether it's eating it down your throat or like burning the fire, etc. But uh, the fire is causing damage, like it's blackening the ground or the walls. And that's not really consumption because the walls, the ground still remain there. They're just ruined from the heat of the fire. So we're saying that the person who lit the fire is liable for that kind of damage as well. It doesn't have to actually be consumed. And that's why the Pasuk talked about Hasadeh, the field itself. And our mission here is saying the same thing. If it's if it damages the avanim or the afar, like the stones itself become black, who wants to have black wool, you have to clean them, and that costs money. Or the afar, the dirt itself, how does dirt get damaged by fire? So let's say, for example, a person recently tilled his field, now it's ready to be planted. But if a fire goes through there, it will like harden like a crust on the surface of the earth, and now he has to re-till the field so he can plant, until he does that, he's not, not appropriate to plant the seeds anymore. That's damage, which has to be uh, paid for by the person who lit the fire back in his field and let it spread. Okay, now, the mission is going to try to set out certain um, kind of like safe havens where we'll, say, safe, where we'll say, listen, safe harbors, I should say, where we'll say, listen, if this was between your fire and your neighbor's property um, and the fire got there anyways, you are going to have this sort of safe harbor and say you're innocent because you weren't irresponsible. So the mission says, um, these are the kind of things you shouldn't expect the fire to be able to traverse, and therefore if it does cross over them, you'll be considered to be having not acted irresponsibly and be exempt. They are, Avra gader shu gavoa arba amos, if the fire passes over a wall. The word gader, a gader in modern Hebrew is a fence, like a wooden fence, but throughout the Mishnah, the word gader, 
which can be translated as fence just fine, is really a, a stone wall, okay? It functions like a fence, but they didn't make it out of wood, they made it out of stone. So the point is it, it traverses this this uh, stone wall, the gader, shu gavoa arba amos, which is four amos high. The word speaks out, we're talking four amos, which they call it like, you know, six, seven feet, whatever it is, uh, two meters, whatever it is, um, higher than the level of the wood that is, you know, on fire. So it's more than four amos off the ground. So it shouldn't, and we're assuming on the other side you haven't got like, you know, high thorns as much are easy to catch on fire. So they're also recessed at least four almost from the top of the wall. So at that point, we'll say, listen, there's no reason why a fire under normal circumstances should be able to cross over the wall. And therefore, if it does, you'll be exempt. Same goes if it's Odera Harabim, if the fire crosses over a street, which is a wide street. This is a 16 ama wide street. The base of this comes from... Um, the like the Rosh Hashanah back in the like the Mishkan's time and the Agolot that are tra- traveling. So sixteen almost call that eight meters, you know, twenty five feet, something like that. Um, that should be a good firebreaker, and there's no reason why fire should jump over the street. So if it does, you'd be considered to be um, an onus, to be under control, and to be putter. Oh Nahar or a river. Similarly, if there's a river that passes between your property and your neighbor's property, the river here says the Gemara. Um, has two features. It's got water in it, um, and it's eight almost across. Eight almost, you know, so that means like four meters, you know, I don't know what, 12, 13 feet, whatever it is. Um, 16 feet, I don't know. So the point is that the it has those are the features which it should be able to cross. The Ramam learns it needs to have both of those elements, meaning it has to have both water in it and a width of eight almost. Other Rishonim learn that either one or the other is sufficient to act as a boundary over which one should not expect the fire to cross. Now, even without one of these, like, you know, things around the perimeter of one's property to protect his neighbor, still, fires don't need to be expected to go forever and ever and ever under normal circumstances. So, therefore, how much space do you need to give between your fire and your property and your neighbor's property? So, we're going to have actually four different shi'urim about how far you can expect it to go. The first, it says, Hamadik besoch shalom. A person lights a fire in his own backyard as he's allowed to do. So, how much should he expect the fire to spread and cause damage? You gotta imagine that you're putting a fire in the middle of a base core. Base core is like the largest of the areas that Chazal had to work with. Base core is the size of 30 base saw, which works out to being, basically being um, one base saw is 2,500, so it's, it becomes 75,000 square amos. Uh, which basically, if you run the numbers, comes out to being 274 almost on a side, or meaning if you're in the middle of that, it's basically in the middle of a of an area that has 137 almost in all directions to the edge. So basically what that's a way of saying is you have to keep it 137 almost away from your neighbor's property. In the loosest term, you can think of a base saw, excuse me, a base core as like, you know, something a very loosely the size of like a football field or a soccer field. Touched by a little a little bit a little bit smaller than that. But anyways that's to give you an idea. We're talking that kind of size. Okay? Um so the point is you have to keep that kind of distance. So that's the first shita. That's a kind of the biggest candy measurement they had on hand. The second shear was Rebbe Eliezer who says Omer Sheshra Amos Amos Kadera He says just as you have sixteen Amos to Distance from the Shusarab, 16 almost is all you need to leave. 16 almost, not that much space. Again, whatever that is, uh, something like around, you know, 8 meters, 25 feet, something like that. 
Rabbi Kiva Omer, Chamishim Amma, he says, no, give it 50 almost, 5 zero almost, that's as far as the fire should be expected to spread. As a third sheet, but the fourth is Rabbi Shimon. And Rabbi Shimon Omer, Shalom Yishalom Hamavir Esa Be'era, the Pazak says, you lit the fire, you got to pay for it. Hakol Adaleka, which is coming to tell you those extra words, Esa Be'era, the fire, is coming to tell you every fire is different. It depends on, you know, what kind of ground cover it is, how big the fire is, how wide the fire is, how much the wind is blowing, how hot is outside, how dry the weather conditions are, etc. So you can't just have one a safe harbor at all. In fact, according to the Rambam, the previous safe harbors about the wall and the Derech Arabim and the river also don't necessarily apply. You have to be responsible with your fire, and if, a, if it could be reasonably expected that your fire is going to spread and be able, given the conditions, to be able to spread, you know, 100 miles, because it's really bad out there, um, and or over fences or over rivers, who knows what. So then if that could be expected, you're responsible, and there is no such thing as a blanket, um, like sort of safe harbor we can give you ahead of time to tell you how far the fire can be expected to spread. And the halacha actually follows... Rabbi Shimon's opinion, that's the Shulchan Aruch, Mount Rambam a l- rule. So therefore, you really, when you walk away, basically, although the Torah does require only a shmira pachusa, basic guardianship for a fire, you have to be responsible for your fire, and if you would do something which any reasonable person would say, listen, that seems like it could get out of hand and, and, and cause trouble, uh, if it does, then uh, the person with the fire would be fully responsible.